0: everybody. You can go ahead and start making your way back to your seats now. Alright everybody, you can go ahead and start making your way back to your seats now. We're gonna uh, keep moving along in our service this morning. All right, everybody, you can go ahead and start making your way back to your seats. Love all the conversation and chitter-chatter and everything that you guys are having. Warms my heart to see, honestly. Yeah, good morning H2O, welcome to H2O. Um, It's so great to to see all of you here today, and it's so great to be here with all of you today, as it is uh, every Sunday. and honestly, as I was preparing this sermon, I was even just thinking about this moment, like right now, um, just kind of settling all of you down, getting you back to your seats, all that kind of stuff. Um, and my heart was just so, honestly, just so full of love um, for you guys. Like, like, I love all of you so incredibly much, right? Yes, yeah, <laughs> thank you. Um, like, like, you guys are awesome. Like, I love you so much. Our whole staff team loves you guys so much. And it is honestly just such a joy to be a part of this community um, and, and honestly, it's it's such an honor uh, even t- to be up here and t- to be able to teach you, right? Like like I, I love you guys. I care for you guys so much. Like I I honor you guys so much. So this, this is even just such a such an honor. Uh, whenever I, whenever I get to teach you, lead you, support you, uh, w- whatever else. Um, so I'm just so happy to be here. I'm so happy you're here. Uh, and uh, this morning's gonna be a, gonna be a good time. Um, Zoe, uh, where are you at? Somewhere? Um, right there. Thank you. Like, thank you for, like, for your vulnerability, your intentionality, your courage today. Like, like, like the dominion of darkness, you, you kind of hit on this. The, the dominion of darkness took a hit from you today, uh, which is awesome. Um, so we just honor you for that. Um, you're, you're awesome, Zoe. Um, so thank you for that. If you don't know already, uh, my name is Trevor, and I'm one of the staff members here with H2O uh, Cincinnati, and I'm going to be bringing the word to you uh, here this morning. Um, and we're specifically going to be looking um, at Genesis chapter nine this morning, uh, as we continue on um, in our journey through the through the book of Genesis, which is what we're doing this semester and, and next semester as well. Right. And like I said, we're going to be in, in Genesis chapter nine uh, during our time together here this morning. Um, but before we get into any of that, um, I just want to go to the Lord in prayer together, just just acknowledging His presence here with us, welcoming Him here in this present here in this place with us. And just asking Him to move in power in all of our hearts and all of our lives this morning. Okay, um, so let's go to Him, God. We love You so much, God. God, thank You, God, for this church, God, for this community. God, thank You for You, God. Your Word says, God, God, where two or three are gathered, God, there You are with them. And God, we're so glad. We're so delighted. God, to have you here with us, God. God, thank you that you you come and you are here with us, God, that you are Emmanuel, you are God with us. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for this new day. And God, I just want to come before you now and just lift up this sermon and this entire service to you, God. God, this morning... And even beyond this morning, God, our lives, our entire lives, God, it's just all about you. So God, we just give it all to you, Lord. God, I pray that you would just pour out your Holy Spirit onto me, into me, and onto and and into every person here, God. God, we just pray you would bless us, and God, that you would do whatever you want to do here this morning. God, you're so good. God, we trust you. We love you. You're such a good king. We invite you here. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, um, so like I said, we're going to be in uh, Genesis chapter 9 um, here this morning, uh, but to start, I want to do a quick review of some of the big things that we've seen in our journey through Genesis so far, because to understand the things that we're going to be uh, looking at from Genesis chapter 9 today, you need to know and you need to remember the context of what's been happening leading up to Genesis 9, okay? So we're going to do a quick review here. So in Genesis chapter 1, God designed and created all things, including us, and everything, and everything and all of creation was good, was right, was beautiful, and was at peace. In Genesis chapter 2, God emphasizes his creation of mankind by giving us an in-depth and detailed account of how he designed us and how he created us. And in Genesis chapter 2, we also get a good look into the kind of deep and personal and intimate and loving relationship that humans were designed to have with God. In Genesis chapter 3, the first man and the first woman were tricked by the devil into rebelling against God and sinning against God for the first time ever. Because of their rebellion, the relationship between God and humankind was fractured, and our world entered into a broken and fallen state that we're still experiencing to this day. In Genesis chapter 4, we see that evil and sin and wickedness was continuing in human beings as we get a detailed account of a guy named Cain murdering his brother Abel and not and not owning up to it. In Genesis chapter 5, we're given a lengthy genealogy just describing how, how humans were exponentially multiplying in this time. Yeah. But in chapter 6, 7, and 8 of Genesis, we see that as the number of humans was growing and multiplying on the earth, the amount of evil, sin, and wickedness was also growing and was also multiplying as well. God's Word tells us that the evil and the sinfulness and the wickedness of humans had become so prolific and so extreme that God, in His sovereignty, sent a great and devastating flood on the earth, which put an absolute end to all humans, except Noah and his family who were on the ark. And they survived the great flood on the ark. And that's what we're picking up today. This, This is the context leading up to Genesis chapter 9, and now that we're all up to speed, uh, I want to jump into reading our main passage of scripture for today. And even though Genesis chapter nine is what we're going to be primarily focusing on today, I actually want us to start reading it in verse thirteen of chapter eight, just to help us continue to have some context here. All right. So, starting in verse thirteen of Genesis chapter eight, and going through most of chapter nine, God's word says this: By the first day of the first month of Noah's six hundred and first year, the water had dried up from the earth. Now. Uh, Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so that they can multiply on the earth and, and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on land, came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done." As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and on all the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground, and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything." But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I established between me and all life on the earth. All right, so this is the passage we're going to be breaking down today. And that, was, and that was kind of long, but really what's happening here is flood, no flood. They come out of the ark. God says they can eat animals now, All right? And And God establishes a covenant, and he gives them a sign. That's basically like kind of what's, what's happened over this pretty, pretty lengthy, lengthy passage, okay? Um, but this is going to be what we're, what we're breaking down. Um, and as I was preparing for the Uh, for this sermon, the Holy Spirit very clearly and very directly told me how to approach this passage of Scripture and how to structure this sermon this morning. Uh, And I want to let you know what that structure is. Uh, So as we look at, as we break down this Genesis 9 passage this morning, I'm going to be asking and answering three specific questions. And those questions are, what does this passage teach us about God? What does this passage teach us about ourselves as humans? And how should we respond to what we're seeing in this passage? Okay, so we're going we're gonna to approach it this way, asking and answering all three of these questions. Um, and each one of these questions is going to have multiple answers. All right. So getting into the first question, what does this passage teach us about God? And this is such an important question for us to ask because it is so important for us to know who our God is, all right? Not just operating off of who we think God is or who we want God to be, but who God actually is. So this is such an important question. And Genesis chapter 9 in the context surrounding Genesis chapter 9 does a great job of teaching us several things about God. And the first thing that this passage reveals to us about God is that God is a God of covenants. He's a God of covenants. Here in Genesis 9, we very clearly see God initiate and establish a covenant with Noah and with all of humanity. In verses 9 through 11, God is speaking to Noah and he says, I now establish my covenant with you. And with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that was with you the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. So, initiating and establishing covenants with humankind is something that God has done a lot of. And if you'll notice in this passage as well, we are included in this. In Genesis chapter 9, when God is talking about this covenant, he says, with, with your descendants after you, that's us. Right? And, and all generations to come, that's us too. Right? So, so we're, we're included in this. So initiating and establishing covenants is something that God has done a lot of. And on the screens behind me is a list of some of the primary covenants that we see God initiate and establish in the scriptures. Okay? First is, is the Noahic covenant. Right? This is the covenant that God initiates and establishes right here in Genesis chapter 9 with Noah and with his family and with us. Right? And the, the, Noah, the Noahic covenant that we're seeing here in Genesis 9 is actually the first of the primary covenants that God initiates and, es- and establishes with humankind. And some of the other primary covenants that God establishes include the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and the new covenant of Christ. Okay? All these different covenants. I don't have time to get into the details of what all these covenants are, but you can see from this list that our God is a God of covenants. And we'll be getting into uh, many of these uh, covenants uh, to come later. Um, And the concept of a covenant was something that people in the ancient world were very familiar with. It was common in the ancient world. But the concept of a covenant is not something that we are super familiar with or as familiar with as people of the modern day. So I want to talk talk to you a little bit about this concept of a covenant, uh, because it's important. Like if, if I'm going to say like like God is a God of covenants, I want to tell you what a covenant is, right? Otherwise, that just like that means nothing to you, right? So I want to talk to you a little bit about, about what a covenant is. Uh, generally speaking, a covenant is a promise with a very high level of commitment, importance, and responsibility. Okay. Simply put, a covenant is a promise. With a very high level of commitment and importance and responsibility. And a covenant's commitment would include details about actions that would or would not happen by those involved. In the case of the Noahic covenant, God promised that he would never again destroy all life on the earth by the waters of a great flood. So we see this example here. And by nature, a covenant is a commitment that is meant to be unbroken. You can think of a covenant as being very similar to our modern-day concept of a contract, When two people or two groups enter into a contract with one another, there's this very high level of commitment and responsibility that is present and that is expected. And if a person or a group does not stay faithful or committed to the details of the contract, there are very steep and serious consequences. And the same is true of a covenant here. And the kind of covenant that people are most familiar with in the modern day is the covenant of marriage, okay? Marriage is a covenant. When a man and a woman come together in marriage, they are actually entering into a covenant relationship with each other for the first time as husband and wife. They are committing to love one another, to honor one another, to support one another, to encourage one another, to respect one another, to protect one another, and to stay faithful to one another for a lifetime. And hopefully this example of the covenant of marriage kind of helps you to see how a covenant is this, very, is this promise with this very high level of commitment and importance and responsibility. Right? It, it's a great example for us. Um, so in Genesis chapter nine and throughout the Bible, we see that our God is a God of covenants. Or in other words, that our God is a promise maker. Right? Our God is a promise maker, a promise making God. And Genesis 9 also shows us that God, God is a God who not only makes promises, God is a God who keeps his promises and fulfills his promises. God is a God who keeps his promises and fulfills his promises. I see this in two different ways um, here in Genesis 9 and the surrounding context. To point out the first place that we see God as a promise keeper and as a promise fulfiller, we actually need to jump back to Genesis chapter 6 real quick, all right? In Genesis six, seventeen through 18, God comes to Noah and he says, I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark. You and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. So as you can probably see from these verses, God came to Noah and God said this to Noah before the flood, All right? God is saying this to Noah in Genesis chapter 6 and it wasn't until Genesis chapter 7 that the flood came, okay? So this is, this is before the flood happens um, that we see these words from God. So God promised that he would establish a covenant with Noah before the flood even came on the earth. And then in Genesis chapter 9, after the flood, Uh, which is the chapter we're looking at this morning, God establishes his covenant with Noah, perfectly fulfilling his promise to Noah from Genesis chapter 6. Okay? So this is the first way that we see that God is not only a promise maker, that he is a promise keeper. He's a promise fulfiller. And that was was a, a good bit of time. Between like Genesis 6 and Genesis 9, the entire great flood happened in that time. Right? But God is still a promise keeper and he's still a promise fulfiller. The second way that I see that God is a promise keeper and a promise fulfilling God is the fact that God has been perfectly faithful to the Noahic covenant from Genesis 9. In the Noahic covenant, God promised Noah and all of humanity that he would never again destroy all life on the earth by the waters of a great flood. And God has been 100% faithful to that promise. And simply put, right here, we see that he is a promise keeper and he is a promise fulfiller. And in case any of you are thinking about this now, or if any of you will be thinking about this in the future if you see something on the news, modern day localized floods, hurricanes, and tsunamis are different than what God is talking about in this covenant, okay? These these modern day localized floods that that you may see on the news, right, that that are are like these kind of like river towns or, or hurricanes or tsunamis, right, those are just the result of the broken state of our world, or, or, or even just a byproduct of the natural created order of things. Hurricanes are actually something that, that, that releases necessary energy from the earth. Right? They actually have a purpose here. Right? So when you see these things, this, this is not God being unfaithful to this. Right? And that, this is not what God is talking about in Genesis chapter 6. And God will sometimes allow natural disasters to happen in the world to remind us that this world is not our ultimate home. To remind us that this world is not our eternal home. To remind us that this life is not all that there is. Sometimes God will allow these natural disasters to happen. To just kind of even keep us humble and allow us to see that. It's in his wisdom. It's actually in his grace that he does that. Um, And God's promise keeping and God's promise fulfilling isn't limited to, to just the promises of the Noahic Covenant. God keeps and fulfills all of, all of his promises and everything that his word says. And keeping promises and fulfilling promises isn't just what God does, it's who he is, because God is faithful. Right? It's not just what he does, it's who he is. God is a promise keeper. He is a promise fulfiller. He is a man of his word. God always does what he says he's going to do, and when God does what he says he's going to do, he does it perfectly every single time. God literally has a perfect record of keeping his promises and fulfilling his promises up to this point. Like, like he is, he's undefeated. Even Alabama can't do that, right? Like, I can't do it, right? God can, right? Alabama, God, right? He, he is undefeated right? He has a perfect record, unbeaten, unrivaled, right? No ties either, right? Like, he has a perfect record of keeping his promises and fulfilling his promises up to us, uh, to us to this point. Um, and God is going to continue to have this perfect record, because he is a promise making, a promise keeping, and a promise fulfilling God. <clears throat> and, this, and this is so important, right? Because he, he may like, he may seem like, okay, Trev, got it. I know that, but, but we, really need to sit, we really need to sit in this because this has huge implications on us. Right? Because God keeps all of his promises and fulfills all of his promises and always stays faithful to his written word, we can have so much confidence, so much certainty, and so much security in all of God's promises and everything that God's word says. Right? Have you ever noticed in, in Paul's letters, he says, being confident of this, God will complete the work he started in you, right? This is Philippians 1, 6, right? In 2 Timothy, he says, being persuaded of this, being convinced of this, I know who I have entrusted my life to, right? Paul didn't just know these things. Paul wasn't just familiar with these things. Paul was persuaded. Paul was convinced. Paul was confident. Paul was secure. Paul was certain, I want to ask you are you are you confident in these things are you certain of these things are you secure in these things because that's what God is calling us into and because God is a promise maker and a promise keeper and a promise fulfiller you can have confidence you can have certainty and you can have security because it's not in yourself it's in God this undefeated king this unrivaled king So when God promises that he will always be with you and that he will never leave you or forsake you, which he has promised to you, you can be confident in that. You can be certain of that and you can be sure of that. When God says in his word that he will work all things together for your good and his glory, which he has said, you can be confident in that and certain of that and sure of that. When Jesus says that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, and that he will return someday to restore all things and to purify purify all things in power and glory and in victory, you can be confident in that and sure of that and certain of that. When Jesus says that He is in heaven preparing a place for you, and when the Bible says that there is a real and glorious inheritance waiting in heaven for you on the other side of this life, you can be confident in that and sure of that and certain of that. And when Jesus says that your sins are forgiven and it is finished, you can be confident in that and sure of that and certain of that. This is huge. These are all things that God has already said and already promised to you if you are a Christian so you can be confident and certain and secure in all of these things. And there is even so much. I could stand up here the rest of the day and talk to you about God's covenants and God's promises that you can be confident in and certain of and sure in if you are a Christian. I don't want you to just know these things. I don't want you to just be familiar with these things. I want you to be confident, persuaded, sure in these things. And we see that God actually wants this for us. This isn't just a, a byproduct that just kind of happened. God wants us to be sure and certain and confident. And we see this by something he does in Genesis chapter 9. And what, what God does in Genesis chapter 9 to show us that he wants us to have confidence, wants us to have certainty, and wants us to have security, is the rainbow. There's no other explanation. In Genesis chapter 9, God initiates and establishes the the Noahic covenant with Noah and with all of humanity. And then God immediately says, I'm going to give you a sign so that you can be confident, so that you can be sure, so that you can be certain that I will never again flood this place. God could have very well just said it and said, trust me. But instead, he took the rainbow and slapped it on the sky. He said, you can be sure of it. You can be certain. And every time you see this sucker, you remember it, right? Every single time, right? And, and it's so cool. Like even, this is, this is kind of the, the science nerd me coming out or whatever. If you know how like a, a rainbow happens, how a rainbow happens is light hitting the water droplets in the air, hitting the very thing that God destroyed the earth with is what he used to create the rainbow. Right? So Intentional. And when the water hits those droplets, that's when it spreads into the colors. And that's how we see the rainbow. It's called refraction. It's amazing. And guys, there is such a desire and such a longing in the human heart for certainty. There is such a desire, such a longing in the human heart for something that that you can be confident in, that you can be sure of, that you can be certain in. There's such that longing, such that desire. You see it all over our society. But there are so few things in this world that actually give it, that actually give confidence and certainty and security. But guess what? God does. And because there are so few things that give this confidence and this certainty and and, and this, this, this sureness, there's so much anxiety, there's so much fear, and there's so many trust issues. But let me tell you today, God is worthy of your trust. He's not going to let you down. His, his record is perfect, and it's going to stay perfect. You can trust Him. He loves you. Regardless of how unfaithful people may be, God will never be unfaithful to His promises or any of, a certain, of His written word. <clears throat> the next thing that Genesis chapter 9 shows us about God, that I want to highlight, is that God is the sovereign king of all creation. God is the sovereign king of all creation. Genesis chapter 9 and the context surrounding Genesis 9 shows us the kind of power and authority that God has over creation and the sovereign rule that God has of creation. In verse 2 of Genesis 9, God places the fear and the dread of humans onto the wild animals, which is definitely an act of God's sovereignty over creation. In the next verse, which is verse 3, God allows Noah and Noah's family to eat meat for the first time instead of just allowing them to eat plants. Hallelujah. This isn't a display of sovereign control from God like it was in, in verse 2, but this is still a display of God's sovereign and kingly rule of creation. And in this particular section of the book of Genesis, we very clearly see that God has the power and the authority and the ability to flood the entire earth as an act of divine judgment and purification. He did that. In Genesis 9, we specifically see that God also has the power and the authority to, and the ability to ensure that it does not happen. We see his sovereignty there as well. And lastly, in verses 13 and 14, um, God talks about putting his rainbow in the sky and bringing clouds over the earth, which again shows God's sovereignty. And all all these details show us that God and God alone is the sovereign king of all creation. And it's so important for us to know and to remember that God is the sovereign king of all creation because this is a reality that should give a Christian so much joy, so much peace, so much gladness, and so much gratitude. The reality of God's sovereignty should do this, should should give a Christian so much joy, so much peace, so much gladness, and so much gratitude because a Christian knows that God's sovereignty is on their team because God himself is on their team. God's sovereignty should do something in you. Right. Not just stay kind of this intellectual fact. It should do something in your heart. Right. It should make you joyful. It should make you glad. It, it should give you peace. In Romans 8.31, the Bible tells us that God is for us. And in Romans 8.28, same chapter, the Bible tells us that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. So our God is the sovereign king of all creation, and he is on our team. This should fill you so much joy, so much gladness, and so much gratitude. The next thing that Genesis 9 teaches us about God is that God is merciful, gracious, and loving. God is merciful, gracious, and loving. By the giving and the establishing of the Noahic Covenant, and really by the giving and the establishing of all of God's covenants and all of God's promises, we see that God is merciful, gracious, and and loving. To give you some simple definitions of mercy and of grace. Excuse me. Mercy is what we're being shown when we don't receive the bad and the painful things that we deserve from God because of our sin. Grace, on the other hand, is what we are being shown when we do receive blessings, when we do receive good things from God that we don't deserve. Because of our sin and our rebellion against God, we deserve to be punished and destroyed by him. And that may sound harsh and that may sound intense, but it's true. We have sinned and rebelled against an incomprehensibly great and holy and righteous and pure and glorious God and King. And because we have sinned against him and rebelled against him, we deserve to be punished and destroyed by him. But thankfully, God is merciful, gracious, and loving. Because God is so merciful, gracious, and loving, we so often don't receive the bad and painful things that we do deserve, and we so often do receive such good things from God that we don't deserve. In the section of Genesis chapter 8 that we read this morning, specifically in Genesis eight twenty-one, God says, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. From this verse, we can see that God did not initiate and establish the Noahic covenant with humankind because we were deserving of it. In this verse, God acknowledges and mentions that the human heart is evil. So it's very clear that God did not initiate and establish the Noahic covenant with us because we were deserving of it. Rather, God initiated and established this covenant and all of his covenants and all of his promises with humankind because he is merciful and gracious and loving the only way that we are even in or that we even can be in a personal and a saving relationship with God is because he is merciful, gracious, and loving. As I said before, all of us are guilty of sinning against God. Because of our sin, our souls were separated from God. Because of our sin, the relationship between each of us and God was fractured and torn apart. And there was literally nothing that we could do on our own to get back to God or to get back to the kingdom of heaven, which we were also separated from. On our own, we were doomed, we were condemned, and there was nothing that we could do about it. Nothing we could do about it to fix it or to make it right. But because God is so merciful, so gracious, and so loving, he did something about it for us. God sent his own son, Jesus Christ, out of the kingdom of heaven and to earth to rescue us, redeem us, and reconcile us back into relationship with God the Father. By coming, although he was sinless, that he took the punishment for us on the cross. Dying under the magnitude of the punishment and wrath of God, to bring you back to God. Rising again, to bring you back to the Father, to bring you back to the kingdom of heaven. In Ephesians chapter 2, God's word says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead and transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So, this passage is loaded with these truths of God's mercy, God's grace, and God's love even just looking at that verses four and five, because of his great love for us, because he is rich in mercy, because he is gracious, we have been saved. God is so good. Praise God that he is so merciful, so gracious, and so loving to us. Now, if you're here today and you are already a Christian, you already know this. You already know that Jesus Christ came to this earth to rescue you, to redeem you, and to reconcile you back into relationship with God the Father. But I want to ask you, are you living in the freedom and the joy and the peace and the gladness that God's mercy, God's grace, and God's love has for you? Christian, God's mercy and God's grace and God's love through Christ is what saves you and what brings you into relationship with God. But it is also God's mercy, God's grace, and God's love that holds you and supports you and frees you and gives you victory now as well and throughout your entire walk with Jesus. I think there's so many Christians who who will receive, will accept God's mercy and God's grace, God's love, God's forgiveness for salvation. But then that's their last experience with it. That's not the way it's meant to be. God's mercy and God's grace and God's love for you is just as good today as it was the day you met Jesus. Just as powerful today as it was the the first day you met Jesus. So I want to ask you, are you living in this freedom and this joy and this peace, this gladness that these things have for you? It's, It's abundant. It's overflowing, and God wants you to have it. He wants you to rest in it. He wants you to enjoy it. If you're not, I encourage you to go find a prayer team member in the back of the room or the sides of the auditorium during the second worship set this morning. I'll be there and there'll be other people that you can trust there as well who'd love to talk with you and pray with you about this. Right. But I want this for you so badly. So I want to ask you, are you living in the joy and the freedom of God's mercy and God's grace and God's love for you? If you're here today and you're not a Christian yet, but you want to be or you want to talk about this more or you want someone to pray with you or for you, you go find a prayer team member as well in the second worship set. So that, that finishes and puts a cap on this first question of what, what does this passage teach us about God? This is, this is the, the, the longest question because it is God. This, this puts a cap on this first question. So Genesis chapter 9 teaches us that God is a God of covenants which means that God is a promise maker. It teaches us that God is not only a promise maker, but that he is a faithful promise keeper and a promise fulfiller. That God is the sovereign king of all creation, which is such an awesome thing and joy producing thing for us as Christians. And that God is merciful, gracious, and loving. Now let's move on to the second question that we're going to be asking and answering during our time together this morning. Uh, it's, this is about us. What does this passage teach us about us as humans? God's Word does a great job of teaching us about God and showing us things about God, but it also does a great job of teaching us things about ourselves, showing us things about ourselves as well, which is super cool. Um, The first thing that Genesis chapter 9 teaches us about ourselves is that we are God's most valued and most cherished part of creation. Humans are the most valued and most cherished part of creation. Um, and to be clear on this, when I say that, that we humans are the most valued and most cherished part of creation, this does not mean that God does not value or cherish the other parts of creation. God cares for all of creation. God loves all of creation, right? In, in uh, the gospel of Matthew, Jesus isn't even talking about how God's taking care of the sparrows, right? I don't even know last time I saw a sparrow. God's taking care of them, right? Um, right he cares for all of creation, you know? Um, and this idea that humans are God's most valued and most cherished part of creation comes from verses two and three in Genesis nine. Um, in these verses, uh, <laughs> sorry, like this came to me, I put it in here, but it's kind of hilarious. Um, in these verses, God puts humans on top of the food chain, both literally and figuratively. Uh, that's basically what's happening here. Like he 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 says that like humans can can eat meat now, right? But he's also communicating this this idea of of how humans are the most valued and most cherished part of creation. <clears throat> uh, and this idea of humans being God's most valued and most cherished part of creation is something that we see quite a bit throughout the scriptures. Uh, if you're here for my sermon on Genesis chapter 2 a few weeks ago, I talked about how we see this idea in Genesis 2 by how God was emphasizing our creation in this chapter. Uh, after we had already been given a complete creation account in Genesis 1, he, he goes back and gives us, a, he gives us a detailed description of our own creation in Genesis 2. Um, by, by, by the intimate and the relational details that he gives us about our creation uh, and, and even more. Like, like we see this idea of, of how much we are valued and cherished by God all throughout the Scriptures. Um, and with that said, I also want to mention that this that humans are not the most important beings that exist, okay? Humans are not the most important being that exists. God himself is the most important being that exists, okay? I think that some people contend to take the truths that God loves us and that God is for us a little too far. Those are amazing truths. Those are awesome truths, but I think some people take them a little too far, Because they take them to this point where they start to believe that they themselves are the most important being that exists. But that is not true because God is the most important being that exists. In addition to these people believing that they themselves are the most important being that exists, their attitude and their heart towards God will change to the point where they will start to feel entitled to blessings in their lives and they will try to make demands of God and they will treat God like a personal butler who just exists to pamper them. And these are the real dangers of believing that you are the most important being that exists instead of believing that God is the most important being that exists. And something else that Genesis 9 teaches us about ourselves, and this is super, super important. So make sure you listen to this. All humans are valuable and precious as image bearers of God. All humans, all humans, are valuable and precious as image bearers of God. This is such an important truth for us to see and acknowledge and remember from Genesis 9 because this shapes and this impacts how we view others and how we view ourselves and therefore how we treat others and how we treat ourselves. So this is monumentally important because God cares so much about how we interact with each other. God cares so much about how we treat each other. So this is so important. This truth that all humans are valuable and precious as image bearers of God comes from verses 5 and 6 in Genesis 9. In those verses, God's speaking to Noah, and he says, "'For your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being, too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed.'" For in the image of God has God made mankind, and in these verses, God is saying that He will hold any human and any animal who kills a human being strictly accountable for what they did, and that He will make them pay for killing a human being. And in doing so, God is communicating how valuable and how precious human beings are as His image bearers. And guys, all human beings are made in the image of God. So therefore, that means all people are valuable and precious no matter what. Every single person in every single life, regardless of someone is a Christian or not, regardless of how someone might act, regardless of someone is nice or mean, regardless of someone is rich or poor, regardless of someone is talented at a certain thing or not, regardless of someone looks like you or talks like you or thinks like you, regardless of someone is a man or a woman, regardless of someone's skin color, regardless of someone's political party, Every person in every life is valuable and precious because all people are image bearers of God. Period. Right? We're, not, we're not debating this. This is, this is not up for debate. Anywhere, all people are valuable and precious, no matter what. Because every person in every life is valuable and precious. We are to be people who honor and respect and love and value and care for all people. And when I say all people, I mean every single person, no matter what. And as Christians, we've actually been commanded by God to honor others and respect others and love others and value others and care for others. Because again, he cares so much about how we interact with each other and how we treat each other. God's word is just jam-packed with this. In Romans 12, 9 and 10, God's word says, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. The ESV uh, translation of this actually says, outdo one another in showing honor. In Colossians 3, God's word says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And in Philippians 2, God's word says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And there's so many other scriptures where we're clearly instructed to honor others, respect others, love others, value others, and care for others. And if I could add on to that, tolerating people and simply coexisting with people And just putting up with people is not the same thing as honoring, respecting, loving, and valuing them. God's not calling us into this life of, okay, you stand there, I stand here, but I don't have to interact with you at all. Right? I don't have to pay attention to you at all. Like, like rather than God calling us out of something, he's calling us to do something, to honor them, to love them, to value them. Like, after someone's, like, like, done interacting with me like do, do they, they feel like they are precious do they feel like they are valuable because that's what I'm called to do by how I care for them how I honor them how I respect them and guys our culture has a big problem with this our culture has a huge problem with respect and honor and value but guys let's 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 be people who are just different be people who do honor who do respect, who do love regardless of anything right. um, and honestly yeah this, this should be something that, that all people are doing I'll say like all, all people should be honoring people, respecting people, loving people valuing people like whether they're Christian or not all people should be doing this but, but guys especially us as Christians because think about it okay like the, the motivating factors for someone who's not a Christian what are they? Be- because it's the right thing to do because that's because that's what they what they were taught to do. Right? Maybe they'll get some sort of like return benefit. Right? Maybe, hopefully, because they actually love the person. Right? But for Christians, we have a huge motivating factor, and it's the fact that our God's image is planted on them. Our God's images, image is stamped on them. Right. That is a huge motivating factor. Right. When I look at this person, I say, "You are an image bearer of my God." So I'm going to love you and care for you and honor you and respect you, even if I don't even know your name. Right? Because God knows your name God created you. Right? Like that's what, we're called, that's what we're called into, guys. Um, and not only that, it's important for us to view ourselves as valuable and precious as well. Right? As, as an image bearer of God. Not in a prideful or narcissistic or self-consumed, they're all about me kind of way. But in a way where we have so much value, personal security, confidence, identity, high, high self-esteem, peace, contentment, joy, self-care in this. Not based off of anything you do, good or bad, but just because of who created you and whose image that you have on you. Right. Um, and, and honestly, if, like, if not, you're really like dishonoring God by dishonoring his image. Right. So you're so invited to this. So invited into this. <clears throat> and the last thing that Genesis chapter nine teaches us <clears throat> teaches us about ourselves, excuse me. I'm getting excited. It happens. God's exciting. All right. Last thing that Genesis nine teaches us about ourselves is that we are wanted by God. We're wanted by God. God does not need us for anything, but He wants us, and that actually makes it more special. God wants us. When someone makes a covenant, you will oftentimes gain insight into what is important to that person based on what or who they make the covenant with. Because again, establishing a covenant requires a high level of commitment and responsibility. When someone makes a covenant, you will oftentimes gain, gain this insight. For example, I love and I care and I value my wife Susie. So I entered into a covenant relationship with her, right? I wouldn't enter into a covenant relationship with someone that I don't want to do that with, right? That, that, that I don't care about, that I don't love, that I don't want, right? And the same thing is true here. Because God has initiated and established multiple covenants and many just huge amount of promises with us, we get insight into the fact that God loves us and God cares for us and God wants us. Just as I wanted my, my wife Susie and entered into the covenant of marriage with her. And we actually see that behind the, the, those covenants, the earlier when we had like the, the Abrahamic and uh, D- Davidic and, and all, all those kind of covenants, like every single one of them comes back to God's relations with man. God's relationship with man. Every single one of them. Right? So we see that we are wanted by God. And honestly, if God didn't want us, shoot man, he probably would have just swept Noah and his family away too. This, nah, to heck with it, right? Get them all, right? But he didn't, right? Noah and his family were saved, and because of that, we are here. Right? God wants us. <clears throat> and, and there's something I want to make clear to you um, from all this as well, you know, before we get into the last section about the Noahic covenant. I don't want you to think that God made this covenant because he thought he made a mistake. Or that, it, or that he thought he did something wrong in the great flood right. something else that we don't, that we don't have or I didn't, we didn't have time to get into is that God is perfectly just right. and the great flood was his enactment of perfect justice okay. so, so the Noahic covenant <coughs> did not come because God regretted what he did right. there are several reasons why that why had to happen I can't get into those you can go listen to Grant's sermon from last week if you, if you want to look into that if you want to look it up on your own time um, I want to make that clear. That, like, your God is not a God who's insecure. Your God is not a God who, like, doesn't know what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. He's secure, and he's trustworthy. So I, want to, I wanted to mention that detail as well. Um, this wraps up the section of, of, um, uh, of, in Genesis chapter 9, of, of what it teaches us about ourselves. Moving into the last section um, to wrap up. <clears throat> Um, Moving into this last section, let's do just a quick quick overview of of what we just hit on. Genesis 9 teaches us that God is a God of covenants, that God is not only a promise maker, but that he's a faithful promise keeper and a promise fulfiller, that God is the sovereign king of all creation, that God is merciful, gracious, and loving, and has taught us that we, as humans, are God's most valued and most cherished part of creation. That all humans, including ourselves, are valuable and precious as image bearers of God, and we, ha- and we have to view and treat others and ourselves accordingly. And, they re- and that we are wanted by God. And there are additional things in Genesis nine that, again, I didn't have time to get into, um, these are kind of like the, some of the big big points here. <clears throat> and now, after seeing all this, how should we respond? It's another very important question for us to ask because God and his word and the things that the Holy Spirit teaches us require a response, right? So what's our response going to be? How are we going to respond? In in response to seeing and remembering that God is faithful, that God is merciful, that God is gracious, that God is loving, that God is such a good and sovereign king, that God has come and that he has saved us and that he has redeemed us, we should be led to simply stand in awe of God And worship God. To stand in awe of God and to worship God. I think that sometimes we we don't do this enough as Christians, but it's so important. I think that most of the time when we think about this question of how should we respond, we immediately jump to thinking about what we can go out and do for God which is not a bad thing at all. In fact, that's actually a very good thing. But I think that we can sometimes overlook or neglect or forget to respond by simply standing in awe of God. Marveling at God and worshiping God for how great he is, for his heart, and for what he has done. And this is actually by far one of the most important ways that we can respond to anything that you see in the scriptures is this. So let's respond by standing in awe of God and worshiping God and adoring God today and every day. In addition to that, you should respond by getting right with God through Christ if you haven't done so already. Again, one of the things I talked about um, that, that I didn't have time to talk about in depth is that God is perfectly just. It means that He upholds perfect justice. God is perfectly merciful, perfectly gracious, and perfectly loving, but He is also perfectly just at the same time this is such an important thing about him. And because God is perfectly just, he has to punish sin. Because God is perfectly just, he can't just turn a blind eye to sin. The Bible tells us that God will not leave the guilty unpunished because he is a God of perfect justice. So it's not a matter of if our sins get punished, it's a question for each one of us of who is taking the punishment. That's the question. Who's taking the punishment? Will it be you that takes the punishment for your own sins by being separated from God and being punished in hell for all eternity? Or will you put your faith and your trust as Jesus, as your Savior, believing and trusting that He already took the punishment of sin for you so that you don't have to if you'll trust in Him as your Savior and as your King? One of those options is clearly better than the other. God doesn't want you to take the punishment for your own sins. He he does not want that for you. God wants you to trust in Jesus as your Savior and your King so that you can receive salvation and forgiveness in Him. In Ezekiel 33, God says that He takes no delight in the death and the condemnation of the wicked and that He desires that they would turn away from their evil ways and to Him that they may live and that they may be forgiven. In the book of Isaiah, God's word says, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Look at that. Holy cow, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. His heart is pouring out. He's saying, friends, I want to be gracious to you. I have this grace, I have this mercy, I have this love, I have this forgiveness, and I want to give it to you. He's not indifferent about this. He longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he he will rise up, and guess what? He rose up, and he sent his son so that he could be gracious to you. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, man, God wants to be gracious to you. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've come from, God wants to be gracious to you. You just can't turn a blind eye to sin because he's perfectly just. So get right with God through Christ if you haven't done so already. If you're here today and you are a Christian, here's how you respond. Live in the freedom and the joy and the peace and the gladness that God's mercy, God's grace, and God's love gives you. If you're not, come talk to me. Come talk to a prayer team member. Jesus wants what he paid for. Jesus paid a huge price that that, that you would live in this freedom and this joy and this peace and this gladness. and He wants what he paid for. Don't neglect it. Next, trust God. To truly benefit from God's promises to us, you've got to trust him. To have this confidence, this certainty, this security, this peace, this joy, this gladness. You've got to trust Him. Trust that He loves you, that He cares for you, He's for you. Trust that He's good. Trust that He'll be faithful to all of His covenants and all of His promises, and everything His written word says. Trust Him. And lastly, honor, respect, love, value, and care for others and yourself as valuable and precious image bearers of God and that's all I have for you for Genesis 9 this morning guys our God is such a good God and it's amazing when we can come together and we can just see these things about him we can learn about him we can learn about ourselves and how we should respond God loves all of you so much and and man he's such an awesome promise promise maker promise keeper and promise fulfiller All of his promises to us are yes and amen. It's amazing. Um, For worship team, you can come back up. Um, Let's pray. God, we worship you. God, just just as we said, God, we, we stand in all of you. God, we worship you. We adore you. God, we lift you up. We exalt you, God. God, thank you for rising up and coming, God, to show compassion to us. God, to show grace to us to bring us forgiveness, to bring us salvation. More than that, God, to bring us reconciliation with you. God, to open up the way, God, for us to be brought back to you. God, to your heart, to your kingdom. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for your spirit. God, thank you that you are a real and a living God. A present and a near God. A faithful God. such an awesome king. God, I pray, that God, all these things, God, that we went over today, God, I just pray that all these things would just, would just into our hearts, into our souls, into our minds, Lord. God, that we wouldn't just know these things. We wouldn't just be familiar with these things. God, we would be sure. We would be confident. We would be certain in all of these things. And God, from that, God, having the peace and the joy and the fullness, God, that just overflows, God, from you, from that. God, I pray that we would all be people who live in your mercy and your grace and your love. God, worshiping you, adoring you from that place, God. And God, help us to trust you. God, even in times we may not see it, even in times we may not feel it, God, trusting you. God, trusting you because you're reliable and because you're faithful and you're good. You've got a perfect record. God, we love you so much. God, you're so lovable. God, thank you for how kind you were to me today. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.